Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. It's a chance for you in less than 30 minutes to get an idea that will help you run a more successful and sustainable business. And each time we do one of these episodes, we try to invite somebody who's earned the right to give you that advice. And I don't have much doubt that the individual we've added on to the list of guests today will, in fact, I'm certain he will not disappoint. The question will be how many good ideas he gives us. He's a very studious individual. Passionate probably is a cliche with somebody of his style. He is passionate to the point of caring as much as anybody I've ever seen in a CEO role. He really takes serious the job of leading an organization and would be a role model for all of us in that regard. He's tremendously humble and he's equally competitive. I would hate to have to compete with him in business. (laughs) He would be a good competitor, but he would be an extremely tough competitor. Chris Halepi, he's the CEO of Shook Construction out of Dayton, Ohio. And Chris, thanks so much for joining us today on the Ed Epley Experience. Thanks a lot, Ed. I think if we stopped there, it might be the uh, best version of myself. So I, I appreciate that. The bar is high. I feel like it can only go down from there. So You're not going to disappoint. I've thought about this. You're, you're still relatively new to the CEO job. And, you know, March 13th of last year, the pandemic was official, even though we knew it was it was there before then. So what's it like becoming, you know, your first full year in the job? You You have to deal with a pandemic. How did that help or hurt your coming into that role? Do you think it was a benefit or do you think it made a job harder? I think it's a short-term, long-term thing, right? So in the short term, I would argue it was harder. In the long term, I think it'll make it easier. And, you know, it's funny to, I guess, to give a little bit of perspective. I'm so greatly blessed by, you know, the ecosystem I've grown up in here at Shook and my predecessor, Bill Whistler. So, this was not a deal where one day someone walked in my office and said, hey, guess what? Tomorrow you're the CEO. Right. This was a three-year planned and communicated transition. Bill has always preached that those kinds of transitions need to be a non-event. You know, the day they happen, things shouldn't feel any different for our associates than they felt the day before. So right. we had been working on it for so long. The funny thing is the way our transition was set up, it was actually June of last year, June of 2020, that I was officially supposed to become president and CEO. I'd been named president June the year before, and we were kind of in parallel. And I when I think about it, when Bill and I've talked about it, it's kind of like when you're on a commercial airplane and there's a captain and there's a first right. officer. And if you listen, sometimes the captain says, hey, I'm Ed Epley, the captain, but first officer Halepy's going to fly you to Florida today. So we were both in the cockpit together. And some days it was like, okay, the alarm's going off. Who's going <laughs> to press the button, right? You or me. In June of 2020, Bill and I met for lunch at a Panera and I said, hey, Bill, with all due respect, I think we've got this thing working right. But I want you to know, I'll, I'll take on anything you want. You know, anything that you're doing that I could be doing, let me know. And he said, listen, you got it. You've got the yoke. You're flying. We're not going to formally change titles or anything till June. But at this point, you're flying. And unless you need me, just go. And I laugh about it now because either he's really lucky or it was a master stroke <laughs> of genius. But 
Man, March, February and March came around. It was kind of like, be careful what you wish for here, Junior. Because you sure got it. <laughs> yeah, but it, to answer your question quickly, I mean, obviously there were a lot of hard days early on and went home with a lot of tension headaches or, or worked from home with a tension headache. But, you know, we're resilient people and we persevere and we have a good leadership team. And I, I honestly think long-term, this thing is all about trust, right? right? Do we trust each other? Do the people trust us? And I think for me to work to navigate through that situation, um, I think only accelerated that trust building. So I, I think in the long term, it probably shortened the transition, if you will. In some regards, as I think about your style, you're fairly introverted as leaders go, comparatively speaking. Agreed? I would agree. Yeah. And Yet I think because of what was going on last year, it forced you to have to communicate even more than you knew you had to. And I don't think that's been bad for your growth and development as a leader. How do you feel about that? Is that, I don't want to lead the witness, but is that accurate or not? No, I think that's fair. And I think the other thing it did for me is, you know, any risk of me falling into that trap of feeling like I had to do everything myself went out the window very quickly because there was just too much information to process, too many decisions to make, too much policy to write on the fly that if you, if you weren't inclined, not that I wasn't inclined to trust the people around me, but you can, you know, a lot of people when they get into a new role, get into that fail safe of like, if I just do everything myself, I won't fail. Right. You know, very quickly, it was first of the day huddles every morning. I think our leadership team came together a lot more quickly than we would have because we had to help each other through it. You know, you do something like that. It was like being in the huddle in football back when I was a kid. I mean, you could tell who was having a good day, who was having a bad day, and it wasn't always the same person. Right. But we helped each other. We built that trust and and we had to lean on each other. And and again, I think just long-term benefit, you had to communicate. I had to become the communicator. And again, we were fortunate to persevere. I'm curious about the learning you've had at this point. And by the way, Shook is a model for executive transition. You talked about the three-year journey that you and Bill Whistler, your predecessor, were on to make that happen as smoothly as it went. And full disclosure to the audience, I'm on the Shook Board of Advisors, which is why we're probably having this conversation today. But because I've been on the board, I've gotten the view, I've received the benefit of being able to watch how they do things. And it really is a model. And I think it would be wise for other organizations to consider making transitions over that kind of time period, all things considered. Having said that, what do you think your biggest learning about the role you're in and the responsibility, what you know now versus what you thought you were going to be doing in the CEO role? You know, it's funny. I think first and foremost, the biggest thing I've learned is, or I guess I'll say I've really enjoyed starting to understand the role and understand the value that I can provide in the role. And that might sound silly, but you know, you can read all the job descriptions in the world. You can watch your predecessors, but until you're, you know, I can talk to you about Corvettes all day long and you can read all the technical specs, Ed, but until you're behind the wheel and you're driving it, you don't really know, you know, how it drives and how you're going to control the machine and how the machine's going to control you and respond to you. So I've enjoyed that. I mean, I think anytime you have an opportunity to expand your role, you know, the first thing that happens is you're really paid to look further out. It's almost like your eyes, you have to adjust your focus, right? You know, when you're just starting out, you're just looking at your feet, don't step on anything right in front of you. And as you keep moving (laughs) up, I feel like now I'm at a point I'm, you know, I need to not just look at the horizon, I 
there's a, a need and an expectation for me to see over the horizon right. and understand what's coming and where we need to go. So I'm not suggesting I know how to do that or I have any magic, but I understand that's what I need to do. So trying to re refocus my thinking in that way. And then I, do I have the right team around me? And if so, then, then creating alignment, you know, it's all about alignment and empowerment and recognizing as a leader, you set the culture. Don't complain about the culture. You set the culture. And it's with your actions and your words and more your actions than your words. So those have been the biggest things that have really the enlightenment that's kind of happened for me, if you will. I wish people had the opportunity to have a side-by-side of you and Bill Whistler. Bill's about as charismatic of a guy as you can imagine as a CEO he is a wonderful human being, but a lot of times his personality will show up in the room about 10 seconds before he arrives. That's the kind of guy he is in all the good aspects of that. So have you felt much pressure to do things Bill did or the way he did because of the success he had doing it? Well, I think it's important how you phrase that. I'll, I'll start by saying, A, you're, you're right. I mean, you talk about big shoes to fill. This was the first time in my career that I had an opportunity at a promotion that, you know, normally I I cared about the people I worked for. I worked for good people, but I always felt in my heart like I could do it better. When my day came, I could do a better job. I didn't feel that way with Bill. If anything, there was, I, I won't call it a fear, but there was an absolute awareness of the quality of leadership he was providing and the really the extraordinary effort it would take to even just try to match that, let alone take it up a notch. So what has really allowed that to happen is that he is my biggest cheerleader. I don't think there's a person alive that, you know, gives me more positive energy for the role than he does. And he's he continues to mentor me formally and informally and really just gives me the confidence to be me. Yep. We're very different people, as you pointed out, but where we are 100% aligned is on I think the things we think are important, you know, our vision for the company, the perpetuation of this company. And even though we're different, I think on most days, we're not people that are controlled by our anxieties. You know, we're both people that work hard to lead with passion and we may do it different ways, but I think we're both, you know, we both like to ski and we always talk about, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be leaning downhill. You know, the only way you can ski effectively is you have to lean downhill. Right. As soon as you get back on your heels or, you know, on the back of the skis, bad things happen. Now, if you get over the tips of your skis, bad things happen, right? <laughs> so we, we help each other. He helps me so I don't get over the tips of my skis, but he gives me the confidence to lean, to lean downhill. And I would say, I'll, I'll add one other thing. If anything, the biggest thing for me that I've had to focus on is, you know, this company is growing. I am working hard to not growth for the sake of growth, but to focus on scalability. Mm -hmm. So there are places where I'm purposefully trying to not do things the way Bill did them, because I think for us to scale, they have to be done differently. They have to be done by others. And, And I spend a lot of time trying to communicate hey, maybe Bill used to do this, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And here's the reason why. And it's decentralization of leadership. It's empowering other people to do things so that we can continue to scale. You and your team have recently completed a pretty exhaustive and thorough strategic plan update, correct? Yes. And you've decided to up the game, if you will, the profitability level of the organization, which was already 
doing well, you're taking it to another level. Was Bill aware of that when you were in the process of, of making that decision, or was that something you and the team took on on your own? We took that on on our own. He had done a really nice job of setting a clear goal yeah. and, and not being afraid to do that and understanding the downside risk. Yes. And under his leadership, we had achieved that goal. It was hard for me to figure out how I was going to get the troops excited to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Yeah, so right. I, I started off realizing there's got to be a new goal, and there's got to be a reason why. The bigger thing is why, yeah. and getting the leadership team aligned on the why. Because once you do that, then you have a chance. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, it sure has taken a team that was already high-performing and passionate and excited, but it seems to have energized them even more. It's it's kind of like, we're afraid of this goal, but we're going to get it done. You know, a great goal and vision for a business should be daunting. And I think you've gotten that with your team. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I think we benefit from, this is our 96th year in business and our entire ownership model is a perpetuation model. Right. And the company is is interesting. We're, we're not family owned. And we're not an ESOP, but there are a group of employees who own the company. And every one of us started with not two red cents to rub together. So there's no entitlement. You know, if anything, we all feel blessed to have been provided an opportunity. So the model is all about perpetuation and continuing to create those opportunities downstream. Right. And I think it makes it easier to set the type of goals we've set because it's, I mean, it's capitalism. There is a self-serving aspect to it, but mm -hmm. it's not, hey, let's figure out how to get the financials to look great so we can sell the company. Right, right. Right, and make a bunch of money and go to the Bahamas or something. It's really about how do we get this company to its 100th anniversary and have that be its best day to date in 100 years and feel very strongly in our heart that the next 100 years are absolutely achievable. I've thrown companies' consequence of COVID into one of two buckets. It's either tomb or boom. And it seems like so many companies were severely punished by COVID and the pandemic, and so many have seen tremendous benefits in terms of their overall portfolio of business. Where was Shook in all of this? Was the pandemic a help or a hurt overall to your overall revenue and financial performance? Well, I'll a on one hand, agree with your approach. And on the other hand, I'll try to mess it up a little bit. Go right ahead. You know, it's it's hurt us in some ways. It's helped us in a lot of ways. Overall, I would argue that we're blessed and we're on the better end of it. You know, it's hurt in that if it hurts our people, it hurts us. Right. Right. If it hurts our clients, it hurts us. And I think when one has perspective, one can have empathy. So we try to understand the perspective of all the different, you know, you don't you don't build a building with one person. You build a building with a lot of people and a lot of consultants and a lot of different roles. So trying to respect everybody's position. What has hurt us is a lot of our projects are taking longer to complete because of delays. And there's a thing, I'll bring out some Latin, there's a term called force majeure, which in a construction contract essentially says if an unforeseen condition occurs, the client will give you more time to complete the job, but they won't necessarily give you more money to complete the job. So if I have Ed Epley slated to be on the job for 10 months to build it, and it takes us 13 months to build it, the three months that I'm paying Ed to be there, the, I'm not going to be penalized by the client for that, but it's on my dime to provide that. So 
that's absolutely happened. You know, there was surely less opportunities last year, which meant more competition, which meant downward price pressure on those opportunities. But the flip side is we were deemed essential. And I'll even on the hardest days and talking to our folks and people's anxieties were the highest. It's like, listen, we're red-blooded Americans. I'll take working over not working any day of the week, right? So that was a blessing. We had very few projects put on hold or canceled, and, and we felt like that validated a lot of our market focus. Um, and because we have such a distributed workforce, we already had technology in place. We had already built a trust culture you know, our folks are on job sites all over. I don't know where they're at at any given moment. I need to build a trusting relationship with them so that I'm confident they're doing what they need to do. And so all those things, you know, at the end of the day, we we were fortunate. We were able to hit our targets for 2020. It's a real testament to our people, just something that we're very proud of. So it's fair to say you're closer to boom than tomb as a result yes. of it. Of yes. the pandemic. Okay. That's kind of what I felt. By the way, for the audience's benefit, your footprint is Ohio, Indiana, North Carolina. Yeah, down into the mid-Atlantic and yeah. the Carolinas. Yeah. Okay. So when he says that people are not, you know, all in one place, that he doesn't necessarily know where somebody is on a given day, you can appreciate the footprint that they have. They're a lot of different places. And so Creating and maintaining a strong culture is not the same for an organization like Shook as it might be for a lot of you who are listening. Supply chains. I have never seen such disruption in supply chains in my 40 years of business. I'm curious about how that's affecting Shook with your jobs and job sites. Are you getting caught up in these delays, uh, things not being available to complete jobs? We are, but I'll bring a little, maybe a different angle to it. I mean, there's some basic COVID-inflicted things. Shipping ports have been the biggest right. challenge. Products right. coming from overseas. You know what's affecting our supply chain right now, Ed? It's the building boom. It's on two fronts. Residential is just going crazy. Correct. And both single-family but multi-family. It's really multi-family. So lumber, glass, appliances. Heaven forbid, if you and your spouse want a new washing machine, don't think you're getting it in a week. It, it might be four months. So you have that aspect of it. But here's the one that might kind of make you wrinkle your nose. Amazon. Amazon. There is so much building going on for Amazon right now. These big distribution centers yep. you see at the side of the highway. Yep. Well, those distribution centers have two core components. They have precast concrete wall panels all around the perimeter. And then in between those panels, you set metal bar joists that look like lattice joists that hold up the roof. Yep. Good luck getting either one of those products right now. There are precast concrete wall suppliers that have two years of business ahead of them just with Amazon. They're not even taking orders. Right. So, you know, that's what's so interesting to me is there's the macro market, but then you really start focusing in on these micro segments of it. And I just think, you know, as long as, you know, there's stimulus money providing an influx of cash into the market, but then these these unique market segments like an Amazon are driving it. And I don't personally see it slowing down soon. Not in the near future. Yeah. You, you talk about those warehouses. Good luck trying to get a dock leveler or door seal right now. Nope. The next one, it's happening now, but the big one is cold storage, kind of this grocery move to delivered groceries yeah. rather than going to your local yeah. Kroger or whatever it may be. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you can build cold storage for a, a reasonable cost per square foot that fits a pro forma as a builder, you'll never run out of work. <laughs> Good to know. Yep. How many different projects do you have going at one time? 
We build about 100 projects a year, but I would say there's usually 30 to 40 that are really in full force at any given time. How, how do you guys manage that? Is there a board? Is there a computer that, that shows all of the work going on at any one time? Or, or is it all up to individuals to run each project and you just kind of aggregate that up at the end of the month? How do you keep track of all of it? We have some peers that do some amazing things with dashboarding and technology. I'll admit we're not there yet. It's something that we're focusing on because it's, it's all about efficiency. But, you know, we have a distributed leadership group. We, we focus on what we call market channels, but there's a vice president of education and all the education projects are his or her responsibility. Okay. And they have teams below them. Um, so we just, you know, but back to scalability, you know, one of the things we're focusing on in our strategic plan is we feel like we have an organizational structure right now that supports the company we are today, but I'm not sure it supports the company that we aspire to be in the future. About 12 years ago, we made a significant change to our organizational structure, and we have doubled the size of the company in that time. And I would guess that as a as a very smart businessman and a consultant, you will tell me that, you know, if you want to double the company again, you're going to have to change your organizational structure pretty drastically, right? Almost always. Our goal isn't necessarily to double our revenue, but I think we, I feel like we have somewhat are hitting a point where you can feel the stress and the strain and kind of hear the creaks and the groans oh, every yeah. once in a while and need to provide some relief in different spots in the org chart. Do you have certain individuals you've already identified as your truth tellers that you go to when you need to know as honest and painful as it may be the reality of a situation? If, if, have, have you always had those? Did you always seek those kind of people out in your leadership roles you've had before? Or I'm just curious about what you do to, you know, people treat you different now that you're in the CEO role than they did before. So I'm just curious about how you keep your finger on the real pulse of the organization. Yeah, it's funny. You don't get as much gossip as you used to, do you? <laughs> Good news, bad news. I'm probably the one they're talking about is what I recognize. But as long as they'll tell me the important stuff to my face, I'm fine. Yeah. But yeah, you know, part of what's interesting here is we have so many long tenured folks. So many of us have grown up together that it's, you know, it's it's kind of like a bunch of brothers and sisters. And, you know, sometimes I maybe I get the truth even more than I want it. So I don't feel like that has been a struggle. I'm trying to really work hard to be a better listener and not get caught in that trap of being convinced that I have the right idea and being more intentional about going out and asking those questions. And, you know, there's different, one person might be the best truth teller you have for a certain type of situation. That doesn't make them the right person for something else. So right. you really have to build those relationships across the organization and not be afraid to ask questions. Do you intentionally have to force yourself to get out of the office Yes. How do you do that? How do you make yourself spend time on projects at different sites? What's your method for that? I am fully, I work for Microsoft Outlook at this point. That <laughs> should be who my check comes from. And maybe it shows that I'm a simple-minded person, but I have found that if I put it in my calendar, it has a chance to happen. So I will go out ahead and I, I use the little color coding thing and Outlook for different types of events. And I have a color for site visit or for office visit. And I really try to be intentional about planning those things out. And it doesn't mean they can't move, but 
I, I don't delete them. If anything, I move them and I force that accountability upon myself. Right. And I have to, I, I will be honest with you. I, on one hand, I feel like there have been folks in leadership in our history that are really good builders, but maybe that's what they default to and, and focus less on building the business. I'm trying to focus hard on the business, but I can't, you can't lose sight of what you do. Right. I mean, I love going out and feel just because it reminds me that I got into this business to be a builder. Right. 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 Remember, oh, that's why I did this. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question that it just popped into my head as a board of advisor to your board of directors, <laughs> which is a very interesting concept. When, once again, you're breaking new ground as an organization. What's the benefit you get from your board of advisors compared to your board of directors? Well, so the corollary to a point I made earlier, we, we have so many long tenured people in this organization that our biggest risk, you know, we joke is that we're a little bit inbred and our biggest risk is not having perspective and outside perspective. The beauty is we've become so much more aware of that. I think our current leadership team is hyper aware of that. So we're very intentional about working to gain perspective. We're part of a peer group. It's some of the best time that we spend is is hearing from our peers. But then our, our advisors, you know, very similarly, intentionally selected people that are smart, that are different than we are, that know different things than we know, and just try to ask a lot of questions. And there's no expectation that Ed Epley is going to show up and run our business or, or make our decisions for us. But boy, I sure want his perspective to help me color in the the lines and figure out what's the best thing to do. The audience listeners are faithful, disturbed few that follow this podcast. I I have to just say, he mentioned that my word's not his. Chris said sharp or really intelligent, whatever it was. Two of the three are really smart. I will tell you, two of the three are scary smart, and I get value being on the board just being around those other two people. I will tell you, I look forward to our board meetings just because of what I'm going to learn from from my peers. I'll tell you what, it's a wonderful gift that I get from that. Well, he's Chris Halopy. He's the CEO of Shook Construction out of Dayton, Ohio. It's put up time now. You have to give our audience that one thing if they're only going to do one thing that will allow them to run a more successful and sustainable business, Chris. what What's that one thing in your opinion? Well, as a uh, listener, I thought this question was coming and I had a chance to think about it. And I might answer it differently, maybe than some others. I think you have to be willing to work on you. You know, I mean, you can have quotes and phrases, and but if there are problems in your organization, if you're not happy with the culture, I'm going to be blunt. You got to get a mirror, and you better go spend some time with it. You know, and if you're a bad human, then maybe this won't help you. But I, I believe in my heart there are very few of those on earth. I think most of us are you know, good people trying to figure out how to make a living and, and take care of our families. And I would just ask you to overcome the stigma. You know, if, if you don't have a coach, get a coach. If you don't have a mentor, get a mentor. If you don't have a therapist or a counselor, get one of those too. You know, connect with your peers, find good people, listen to them. It is a lifelong journey. The box is never truly checked. And, you know, most of us are still trying to figure out stuff we learned before age seven. And that's okay. You know what? I love my mom and dad. They're good people. They were doing the best job they could. But there's still a lot of stuff you're unpacking and, and, and right? Yeah. Trying to oh, figure yeah. out why was that what I was taught? Oh, yeah. you know, I don't know that that works very well. And I just think if you work on you, then at some point you can just be you. Yep. And boy, that's a lot easier way to go through life in a much more authentic way 
to go through life. So that's my counsel is don't don't be afraid. You're not you don't have all the answers. You're not supposed to. You're flawed. You're going to die flawed. Embrace it. Enjoy it. <laughs> but 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 work on it. And I think the side benefit of that is I've tried to do that very intentionally at work. And what I found is I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. And I still have a long way to go in all those things, but it's all relationships. And if you become a better person, everybody around you will appreciate that. He's Chris Halepy. If people want to, I'm guessing they're going to want to reach out and know about who to contact as therapists or counselors, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. But if they wanted to reach you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Probably email's the easiest entry point, and it's C is in Chris, and then the last name's Halapy, H-A-L-A-P is in Peter, Y, at Shook, S-H-O-O-K, construction.com. All right. I always enjoy my time with you, and I always know I'm going to get something solid. Ditto. Ditto. That's very nice of you to say. So thank you for taking time to be with us today on the Ed Epley Experience, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 